What is law? Why do we enforce it? Why do we care? As we've seen all throughout history, when culture tries to redefine right and wrong, chaos ensues, culture collapses, and for a time, evil overtakes. The Roman Empire, Greek Empire, Nazis, communism, the examples are endless. Humanity tries again and again to rebel against what we know is right and good. But why? How is there a never-changing system of right and wrong that binds all of mankind? My thesis? Because God made it that way. He created it. He governs it. He's called us to live by it, uphold it, and teach it to others, thus making us ambassadors of his law, or deputies of Christ. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Deputies of Christ, episode 24. I'm still working on getting my voice woken up here, so pardon me while I continue to drink my coffee and talk slowly. Alrighty, so got a little different show today, and that'll be interesting, but we're going to start it off with the same as always, what's new with me. Um, last show I did was a, just a little before testing day um, for I had to do my written tests and physical tests for the application. Those are done. They all went well. Um, the written test was pretty much the exact same as I'd taken last time. It hadn't changed, and the uh, physical test was the physical test. I knew what I had to do, so... That all went well, and I just got word yesterday, actually, that I passed that, which I expected, and uh, I got my in-person interview set up. That's next week, next Tuesday, so uh, that's great. Be working towards that. Um, other than that, not a whole lot's going on. It's been nice. I've run into some deputies, and uh, well, I guess just in general, I'll just say this. Um, not trying to toot my own horn here, but as I've been going through this whole process of obviously not being deputized, I'd be, I mean, if, if I had passed Academy, I would be, see, that would have been November. So December, January, February, I would have right now be done or almost done with field training and just full out on my own full acting deputy, which would be awesome. Obviously that did not happen and it's a little bit of a downer, but I do believe all things happen for a reason. And I've been trying to figure out the positive side on why God is having me go through this again. And I don't have it all figured out, obviously. I probably never will. But there's one specific thing that I've noticed the last month or so that's really stuck out to me. <clears throat> and that is that going through Academy, and again, I'm not saying any of this to toot my own horn, but going through Academy, a lot of the other deputies liked me. And when I got kicked out, that was kind of a wait, what moment for all of them? And uh, a lot of people reached out to me, um, encouraging me to come back and go back through, which of course I was planning on anyway. But now as I'm going back through, I see a lot of a lot of genuine respect from the deputies and even the higher ups. Um, I mean, we've just gone through some personnel change with the new sheriff. So um, there's lieutenants that I know that used to be sergeants. There's deputies that are now sergeants and um, there's even a chief that's now a chief deputy, or I'm sorry, there's a, there was a captain that's now a chief deputy. So people, a lot of people in the department know me. A lot of people respect me, I think, because of what's happened and the fact that I'm going back through and I've been, um, the way I've handled it all, which is, uh, no credit due to me, but, um, that's been very encouraging to see. I mean, I remember on my, before my test day, I had deputies coming 
coming to the courthouse, stopping and saying hi and wishing me good luck on my test. I'm just like, I don't even know who you are, but thank you. Um, so it, it's just been really cool. And like yesterday I was at Walmart and I, excuse me, ran into one of the deputies who I worked with, one of the guys who trained us. And, uh, we talked for a few minutes and he's just like, yeah, they want you back. So it's just, it's been very encouraging. And I can see there's other than just having gone through past and being a deputy, having gone through all of this, there's another level of not attention, but recognition is not a great word, but people just know who I am. And they respect me. So that's been really cool to see. Um, it's been very humbling to um, have sergeants and lieutenants and captains and chief deputies come up and talk to you. And um, just you can just tell on how they how they speak to you. They do genuinely respect you. Um, so that's been really good. So that's one little one little piece that I've noticed a positive impact upon not having passed academy the first time. <clears throat> Okay, so that's actually what's up with me. Like I said, interviews next week. Um, that'll be basically the exact same that I did last thing I did last year. There's a little um, online computer test you take that takes like 20, 30 minutes. And then um, the interview is really short. And like in total, the test and the interview are supposed to take like an hour and a half. So it's not real long, but um, I mean, it's just an interview. It'll be good. I've taken it. They say they said it would be the exact same questions I had last year. So um, I'll figure out how to add a new element to it, but that'll be good. Okay. So how long did that take? Let's see here. Four and a half minutes. Awesome. Oops. All right. Okay. So now let's get into the show for the day. So the church and change of government is what I titled the show because it sounds cool. And that is the topic we're going to touch on, but let's just kind of start off here. I've made some um, rather large claims. Um, I've made some rather large statements about what I believe government should be. And so how in the world are we supposed to accomplish those? Well, let's start off by reminding us of what a couple of those were. Um, um, restructuring of police departments slash elimination of police departments. Um, not really elimination, but restructuring to be an elected office, just like the sheriff who is not accountable to the mayor or the city council. Uh, he's accountable to the constitution and the state statutes, just like the sheriff is. <clears throat> uh, there, there's this point of the smaller, how do you say, how do you say this? The smaller the jurisdiction, the more power they should have. If we can find a um, smaller office than the sheriff, I'm all for it. So if we can have the sheriff be county and then have basically another sheriff at city level. I'm all for that. The small, because there's a point at which you have too much and it just becomes a, a, uh, a laggy system, but, or, or doesn't work well. But if you can have 50 people who are uh, governed by one magistrate, those 50 people will be able to elect the person they want uh, with a, it'll be a tighter knit community is what I'm trying to say. And with tighter knit community, you have um, a different bond between the civilians and the magistrate. There's more accountability because they're directly people that you know. There's more, a um, little more trust. There is more, um, a little more openness probably. So it's just a different aspect. Whereas if you have um, a sheriff or a city council member, I don't know why through city council member, you have a sheriff who's over. Um, a population of nearly 500,000 where I'm at now, 
it's a different different dynamic because 99% of the people they don't know. So that was my very, very long explanation of restructuring of police departments. But then there's other things too. A massive one I throw out there is roads should not be owned by the government, I don't believe. Um, that's a huge system. Uh, would take a lot of work to change and probably not even a problem that will address, be addressed in my lifetime or my great-grandchildren's lifetime. Like, we've got a long way to go before that's our top concern. Um, <clears throat> another big one is the whole prison and restorative, or I'm sorry, the whole prison and uh, preventative justice system that we have is not a biblical system, um, but we need to revert back to a restorative system that doesn't rely on prisons. Um, and then there's, I mean, there's so many other things. Most of all the federal government stuff that I don't like and uh, agencies, all that. Uh, yeah, I could go on and on and on, but those are some of the big ticket items I've missed. So are listed. So how do we change these? Obviously, these are big ticket items. How would I want to change these? Well, we got to remember the two things whenever we want to talk about changing government or changing anything. Number one, change always starts from the bottom up. The idea that we need to elect great federal officers, quite frankly, it's overrated. Yes, we should be electing good federal officers, but federal officers cannot make meaningful change unless every other lower uh, lower level of government is behind that change. I mean, for one, the way that our system is set up right now, the local authorities have more authority, or local governments have more authority than the federal government. It's not always the way it should work, but it's the way it should work. And then second, you're sticking one little spark of light into an ocean of, uh, sounds a little morbid when I say it this way, but one little spark of light into an ocean of darkness, basically. You're trying to light an ocean on fire with a match, and that doesn't work. You have to start from the bottom up. You have to get all of the lower lower levels of government on board and they will start changing things and then as that follows the upper government will start changing too this that whole view is one of the fallen sinful results of our culture we think uh, we think status thoughts about how person at the top is most important when that is not how our nation is designed and that's not how God's designed the world to function uh, you can see all through scripture, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but you can see all through scripture when God mentions or starts lasting meaningful change, it doesn't start at the top, it starts at the bottom up. It's an upside down pyramid, if you will, that's how I always remember it. So that's what we need to remember, change is always from the bottom up. The second thing we need to remember is that all change in culture, well, I've talked about this before, the, the circle, all change in culture comes from the church, all change in the church, not all change in the church, but... Uh, comes from family and all change in the family comes from the individual. You can't just start at the top and hope to work its way down. You've got to start with the individual, then the family, then the church, then the uh, culture, then the state. And I hesitated there because church in the middle, yes, that can be a way that it's done, but church can start in a different point in the process. Church can be used to... Um, help with self-government and family government. It just depends on how God uses it. But typically it goes from the smaller smaller body being one person to then the larger group, family, larger group, church, larger group, community, larger group, culture, larger group, government. Um, so that's why I said it like that. But uh, let's see here. 
Okay, so let's kind of just dump in this. This is what I'm going to talk about for the majority of the show, which how much time do I have left in the majority? Okay, hang on. It's only 11 minutes. We're not doing too bad. Alrighty, so bottom up every time. So first off, God changes personal life. Some examples would be Moses. Uh, grew up in the ultimate pagan privileged culture, God, but God's calling literally changed the entire Middle East. God started with Moses, uh, called Moses. Moses went to the Israelites, and then went to Pharaoh, and then um, after that whole thing, got people out of Egypt, and then he started working on the nation of Israel. God started with one man and changed the culture. Same thing with Nehemiah. One devout man living as a royal servant who freed a nation. Um, God started with one man. One man influenced another man, influenced a small community, influenced the nation. Okay, same thing with Paul. Um, one of God's greatest enemies that God turned into one of his most powerful weapons. Started with one man, then went to the community. He led the disciples, and then it just continued to spread. Jonah, reluctant prophet, tried to run away from responsibility and ended up, ended up saving the worst city imaginable. Started with one man, went into a city, spread through. And Nineveh, obviously, is a bit of a special story because it was a miraculous, uh, you know, conversion in like a day so obviously that one's a little special but still it started with one man and spread throughout the city of Nineveh until the government or the government officials heard about it and then it started spreading and then all of a sudden they were a Christian nation so that one's special uh, you can also have Rahab uh, one act of sudden faith of saving the spies ended up saving her entire family her family line saved the spies saved the nation of Israel started with one man or one woman excuse me okay God changes families uh, the John 4 is an example. There's a lot of examples of this in Christ's life. I just got one. Uh, the Galilean man in John 4 um, had a spark of hope and asked for his son to be healed by Jesus. Uh, as a result his son was, uh, of his faith, his son was healed, and him and his entire family came to, well, it says his and his entire household. So his, him, his family, his servants, everyone in his household came to a saving faith. Started with one man, one man's act of faith. And then there's also just the, um, let me actually pull this up. Uh, God's, oops, excuse me, God's promise in, man, I had the yawns this morning. I don't know why. Hmm. In First Corinthians 7, 13, 15. I should pull this up before the show. Okay, so First Corinthians 7, 13, and 15. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, do not let or do not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. God respects covenants made. God established the marriage covenant. God established government offices. He respects the covenant and the authority a lot of times more than we do. And this is just one example. Um, the family is such a powerful and um, intimate relationship that God promises that when one person in the family becomes saved, or one, one parent in the family, not only does that sanctify the children, but that will also work to sanctify the husband. It's not a guarantee that every person is going to be converted, just like baptism, but it is... Um, baptism is a sign, on, or a sign of our faith, but 
I guess that is too. It's a sign that we are sticking with it and we're trusting the Lord to fulfill this and to um, bring the other person in the relationship to Christ. But that is all just to show the, that God does honor the family. The family does have power, but all of that relies on the one person not deserting it, the one person sticking with it, person or individual to family government. <clears throat> and then, of course, you can go on. There's Rahab's family, too. Uh, they would not have been saved if it wasn't for Rahab's act of faith. I already mentioned that. Then you have God's changes in culture uh, or small communities. You can look at Israel as they're going through the land of Canaan. I mean, that was their land they were taking over. So it is, again, a special um, situation. But the impact that they had worldwide of this community going into the land and smashing other nations. And there were people that converted too, but uh, typically it was a no mercy um punishment of the Lord on those canon nations and and then also there's just every step of Jesus's ministry in the New Testament um, once again special situation because it was one man affecting the community but remember that he gave the calling and the power to do what he was doing to his disciples and called us to follow in his footsteps and to uh, minister and preach the gospel like he was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that's our calling, and he never did these things, or very rarely he did these things by himself. He usually, or he had his uh, disciples and those around him that were all working with him. He obviously was still leading because he's the Christ, but but we're still called to act like he was. And then, left my notes page here. <clears throat> And then you can look at God changing government. Once again, I already mentioned the story of Nineveh. <clears throat> One person acted through faith, changed a community, and eventually changed the entire nation. Um, and you can also, this is one, one place where I'll step away from direct scripture and look into history. Um, history is not super sharp, but if my memory serves me correctly, Roman Empire was one example of this. Through the work of a few disciples, or well, through the work of Christ, and then through the work of a few disciples, um, they put the seed of Christianity in the Roman Empire, and it slowly grew and grew, time and time again, in the ministry of Paul, and um, it finally grew to the point, years and years down the road, where I believe it was Emperor Constantine um, made the nation a Christian nation, um, officially. Um, the unoutlawed Christianity, made Christianity legal, and I believe supposedly converted himself. Now there's debate about if he actually converted, or was he trying to just harness the most loyal people in the nation as a last-ditch effort to save the Roman Empire. It was crumbling at this point. Uh, that's when he moved the capital from Rome to Byzantine, I think, um, and other stuff. But anyway, that's just one example of God changed government through years and years and years of faithful Christian work through persecution, saved one of the largest empires in world history. <clears throat> Didn't last long, but they still did it. And then, of course, look through Revelation. That's all you. That's all the answers you need. The entire book of Revelation is about God's government spreading through Earth. Um, there's probably a whole show you could do on just that, but I didn't do enough research into that, so. I'm going to just stop there. And then the last step is 
um, from our government, and this is one I don't usually mention, but from uh, our government to other governments around the world. Um, and that's just also straight up biblical promises. God's promise that his kingdom will stretch from the ends of the world and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is God. And that promise is not just about people. Remember, it's about individuals. Individuals affect families. Families affect churches. Churches affect communities. Communities affect government. So every government at the end of time will kneel before Christ and say that he is king of kings and lord of lords. That is the ultimate strategy. That is the ultimate plan of how this all goes down. So, I think I've beat that horse to death. And I've talked about it before, but I thought it'd be a good little reminder for review. So let's finish off the show. What's my plan? I've talked about this stuff that I would like to see changed, but what am I going to do about it? That's something I get asked whenever a lot of times when I bring this stuff up in public. And honestly, I have no idea. Um, I preach, quote unquote, over and over the need for biblical law enforcement, which is absolutely true. But to see true changes in government, you can't just have one man or one agency, one community. This is why it starts with the lowest levels. It starts with individuals. If my goals were to come to fruition, the Lord blesses my efforts. Uh, and I am sheriff. Um, I would seek to run as biblical a sheriff's office as I can, but that can only do so much. <clears throat> I can only enforce laws that are on the books. And I can't punish people. I can't give people sentences. I just go and arrest them for crimes. So I am one maximum. I'm one third of the equation. You need, excuse me. You need people. You need individuals. You need Christian church in the community, and you need Christian men in every area of government to to actually make a change in local level government. You need senators, you need legislatures, you need governors, you need mayors, you need city council members, you need county board members, you need judges, and countless more offices. And that's just the local level. In some state. Then if you want to make more changes, then you're getting into uh, your federal agencies, and that's a whole other beast because there are so many federal agencies, but local government's a good place to start. If we get to state government, that's great, or when we get to state government, that's great. That'll make a big difference, and then we can start going from there. But, I mean, at the point that our state changes, every other state has to catch up before we can have a truly meaningful effect. Or not every state, but most states has to catch up before we can have a truly meaningful effect on our federal government. <clears throat> and honestly, that's part of the beauty of the system, because this system was designed so that, well, it was designed so that we would never lose the constitutionality of the government we have. But... It's designed so that when it was set up, it was set up in the right way and it would take the system moves slow and that's intentional because that way change is slow. Evil can't or evil change, wrong change can't come in overnight and sweep everything under the rug, sweep everything out. It takes years and years and years. Point of that being that it would be much easier to fend off, which we did for a long time, but We've lost that, and now we're on the flip side, where we have uh, socialism and communism in our government, and we're working. We have to work to get it out, and that's a long process. So we just have to stick with it, but we have to start from individual level. We have to remember the reason we're here is because we've lost our Christian roots, we've lost our Christian beliefs, and now we're just completely in a worldly place. 
And the only way to change that is to go back with the individual, back with the church, back with the family, and rebuild the smaller forms of government, and those will affect the larger forms of government. It's a long process, but it's well worth it. So that's that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't I don't know what God's plan is for my life. I don't know if I'll actually ever be able to have an effect on this. Who knows if I'll even be a sheriff? Who knows, who knows if I'll even be a deputy at this point? I'm not a deputy, but I'm working on what I believe God has called me to do, trusting that He will take care of the rest, and whatever He wants to happen will happen. This is out of my control. I'm just doing what I can. As we get closer and we have the more ability, then yes, we will work on how to solve some of our problems and start reversing some of the damage that our government has done for the past however many years. But this is ultimately God's world, God's kingdom. We are his servants. His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's all I have for this one. So actually going to be a little bit of an early one. There we have it, folks. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. My friends, evil never rests. But praise be that our never-resting king and commander is leading the way. This being the case, it's our job to follow. He's promised us that the blows life gives will never be too much to take, and he will never refuse our cry for help. But life is no cakewalk. We must therefore put on his strength, take up our cross, and follow him, taking back every area of government for his glory. Family, church, state, and self must bow the knee to Christ. Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our king, and we are his sheep, his soldiers, and his deputies.